Hi, and welcome to season two of the It's Complicated podcast. I'm your new host, Johanna Svensson, and I'm a therapist who, besides doing client work, also loves to talk to other therapists about their life and philosophies, and of course, their work. I'm also one of the co-founders of It's Complicated, which is a therapy platform that helps people find the right therapist and supports the therapists and their craft of helping others. It came into being a couple of years back when we wished to make the search for the right therapist simpler, and over time it's developed to be a thriving and diverse community of practitioners and therapy seekers. And whereas season one, hosted by Reese Cox, took a journalistic approach to contemporary issues across the broad spectrum of what we call therapy and mental health, it's the community of practitioners I want to focus on in this second season of the podcast. This year, my first ever episode, is a conversation between me and the enormously interesting and charming counselor Gemma Autumn. I decided that she would be the first counselor I'd get to know because her profile and background struck me as very unique and she looked so friendly in her profile picture. And I really needed the person to be especially approachable, this being my first attempt at a podcast interview. So let's just kick it off. So first of all, thank you for wanting to chat with me, Gemma. And um, I was wondering if you would like to start just by giving a short introduction of of who you are, where you're based, what your work consists of. Great. Yeah. Thanks, Johanna. Um, So I am an integrative psychotherapeutic counselor and I practice online and also outside in nature. Um, I'm based between London and Berlin, but um, due to the possibilities of online counseling, I work with kind of global client base now, um, which is really exciting. So, yeah. That is so interesting. Also that you work in nature, is that is that like building on uh, walk and talk? kind of practice or can you tell me a bit more about that how you integrate nature into your practice yeah so it's called wild therapy and it's a training that I'm actually on doing this year um and it's really about moving a building on you know Freud really started out doing western psychotherapy you know in in the room very much brain to brain Right. And, you know, body has been brought more into it as time's gone on. But this is really bringing in the other than human world and really acknowledging that, you know, we're not isolated beings in the whole network of of the universe. Yeah. <laughs> so it's bringing in nature and the elements and, you know, it's still it's still the same as um, as kind of just it is talking therapy, but it kind of reflects, it uses nature and reflects um, where the client's at almost as like a co-counselor. Yeah. And just reminding, just reminding us both that, you know, we're not alone and we are connected to, to more than, than the human world. Right. And would you say that it brings, that it brings creativity into, into the therapy practice? Does it facilitate more creativity or or what what does uh, doing therapy in nature it can definitely facilitate creativity absolutely in terms of use well 
yeah incorporating you know the earth water so I've had sessions where people you know have taken their shoes off and really explored their relationship with dirt or earth and how you know it can be quite people are quite disgusted by it and kind of just looking at their relationship with with the earth um and doing a whole session walking through yeah a forest with bare feet um which is quite quite unusual and just seeing yeah what that brings up amazing what what's the wildest thing without breaking confidentiality but what's the wildest thing you've you you've caught yourself doing uh in in wild therapy Mm, that's a really good question um it is a lot of you know it can be like a lot of tree hugging and really getting into dialogue with nature so I guess a lot of this stuff has really normalized for me now but you know if you talk about speaking with trees or 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 speaking with the elements you know that that could sound a bit um a bit mad I guess (laughs) very wild (laughs) but yeah it's all it just gives another lens I I see and it also makes me remember having read that you you are a practicing artist besides being an integrative counselor you're also a practicing artist and is is this somehow related to how you got into wild therapy or even related to your practice doing doing therapy in nature i think it is all related to this journey from the head to the heart Um, my art is a lot about trying to work from you know like the brain and the heart as opposed to the the brain and the head which is what we use a lot in our society and and I think yeah it can become very analytical very heady um, and I think for me yeah my art is, is not planned it's not analyzed it's more it is more of a meditation that um that I kind of use um my therapy training and kind of setting up that space with unconditional positive regard and those Rogerian um approaches uh yeah to just bring out a lot of just to let go of a lot of shame and judgment and you know criticism that yeah those voices I've listened to enough so yes try to to bring in myself when I when I paint or when I'm making things um and I think I think wild therapy is you know it's very embodied it's outside um and I think that that can really help ground people and bring us down more from this very like brain brain centered way of being I actually remember while studying one of the first things that that bothered me uh, with the, the the world of therapy and psychology was just how secluded the the the, the normal practice of therapy is. That you mm-hmm. you know that I, I almost got this image that 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 that's what makes therapy futile when it when it is futile when it doesn't work you know that is the biggest limitation that we just have these 45 to 60 minute sessions and then we go out into the world 
and there's not an active process of integrating the insights that might have been made in that therapy session into one's everyday life. And, and when you're talking, it seems to me that, that you are making that integration or that translation a more active part of your work. Mm, yeah, well, that's a really good point, because when you're actually, it can feel quite, quite abstract having all these plans of how to be in the world when you're in the room talking mm-hmm. to the client. So to actually be having those conversations and be out in the world. Yeah, it, it, I think it can it can feel feel integrated faster in a way and you can be practicing it out in the world in, in the session. Yeah. Yeah. Does exposure therapy, graded exposure experiments, does that become part of, of, of therapy in nature? Um, you know, if, if, if there are phobias that your clients have to do with, with the outside world, uh, is, is that something you're trained in at, at the Wild Therapy Academy? That's, I mean, that's a really good question. And it's not something that is like specific hmm. to the training that we've had. Yeah. And, you know, being outdoors is really not for everyone, but also being hmm. indoors is really not for everyone you know being indoors can be, can feel like a really unsafe place for a lot of people yeah so to have the option to feel comfortable outdoors I think is is really important um and I think yeah it's good to have these like in, you know in your training these groundings of of the 50 you know these strict boundaries that we're kind of trained in 50 minutes indoors lots yeah. of rules but yeah it's interesting to to not be limited by those and and see where the wildness can come in because then it can come in in our psyches as well and yeah that can be quite freeing so yeah it's about working with edges and um and like and in these internal boundaries that we put up that we like police ourselves in society so it, I think it can feel quite threatening to to the establishment and um yeah so, but I think I think any training that that kind of invokes that in people can only be a good thing to like to for, for progress um, right. that's a bit of a sweeping statement but you know I think it's good to to challenge the status quo of 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 any kind of therapy training or approach to see what else is there Definitely. Yeah, it, it sounds politically meaningful, the, the kind of therapy you you do when mm-hmm. when you do it in the wild therapy kind of way. Um, the, the, mm-hmm. the people who you've met through through wild therapy, the practitioners, have have they also been more activistic in their mindsets or like more um, politically willing to push boundaries and go against the status quo yeah I think I think as your relationship with with the other than human world really builds it can't help but but draw you into to challenging systems which are so disconnected from that yeah um, so it can be a really uncomfortable process because you know you're kind of if you step outside that that denial 
that we all kind of live in, I'd say, to live in the Western world and what, you know, we're participating and doing to the natural world, then, yeah, yeah, it can can be a really uncomfortable place. But that's the place that you need to be in to, to really make meaningful changes in your own, in the way you live your own life as well. So, so does that, did that also come before you choosing this career path, you having a close relationship to nature? Have, have you also, <laughs> have, have, have you always seen yourself as someone, as, as a wild child? <laughs> Is it, yeah, I think, um, I think it's something that maybe I lost for a bit, um, maybe from, yeah, that wild child because you know you plug into the system and you know certain certain conditionings take place and so I think a lot of it is remembering and unlearning um and and yeah I'm a city I'm a city-based person so I think and the the trainings in that beautiful um wild countryside up in, in Lancashire and and yeah I think for me just feeling like those places are accessible to me and and we camp during the training and you know that's not something that I've done a lot of so yeah just like physically being in in those kind of wilderness settings and and like becoming familiar with that as well and and what brought you into the world of counseling and and wild therapy um did Mm -hmm. When did you find out that you wanted to be a counsellor? How did you find out? Was it an epiphany or a drawn out realisation? Well, I, I had a, um, had a counsellor who I found really, really useful um, in my early 20s. And I'd always been interested in psychology and trying to work out why people were there where they are. And, um, and yeah, and then I started on started on the training and didn't really know where it was going to go. Um, and you know, it's a really tough. It can be really tough training as a psychotherapist. Um, you know, our teachers would say if they'd been given their time again, maybe they wouldn't have done it. But now they've done it. There's no way they wouldn't have done it. Um, you can't unknow what you now know, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, there are a few kind of crises of faith in it, I guess. Um, and the thing that brought me back to it, and I think that also spurred my connection with nature is experiences with the therapeutic use of psilocybin as well. And those experiences really, you know, they shaped my kind of cosmology around around the universe and nature and the human spirit and and that's what, you know, the messages that I got in those experiences really supported me in my choice to do this work. So. And, and is, is that a path that you are, are already on uh, the path to becoming? A, a, um, I don't even know if, if there's a license as such, but like a, a trained, certified um um a psychedelic assisted assisted treatment practitioner yeah. yeah it's it's something that I've 
that I really do feel very passionate about that, you know, none of these things are silver bullets though, you know, they're not panaceas like psilocybin, you know, it's an, and therapy, it's really not for everyone and it's not going to heal the world or, you know, it's just one part of, of the puzzle that can, that can contribute. Um, Cause I think sometimes it's framed as this, you know, if everyone, if everyone does this, then <laughs> the world is going to be completely sorted. Um, but I think I think to, to have access to those substances in in really safe and held environments can be incredibly useful for people. So, yeah, I've definitely considered, um, and there are places in the UK now which are waiting for um, the legal status to change, which mm-hmm. I think it will soon because it has been changing in America. Right. Um, yeah. So I am in in touch with those centres, but it's really up to you know, I would take my cue on whether that's right for me from, from nature and from the substance itself. And I'm not feeling right now called to, to work with that. No. So, um, but I think it's a really exciting um, new, yeah, venture. Realm, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you're also an energy worker, right? Mm-hmm. And and is this then also related to I mean everything's related, I know, everything's connected, but is it closely interlinked to um yeah, your your work in nature and your, your connection to nature and um your experiences and interest in 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 psychedelic assisted therapeutic treatments? Mm. So, yeah, I've kept my Reiki practice mostly like separate from my counseling practice, but oh. it, um, yeah, how does it inform it? That's a really good question. I think what I like about the Reiki is that it shows it's I really like it's nonverbal element and how just giving someone space even if you know they're not speaking just being in that intentional loving environment with another and just having you know an hour's space to rest and be in the body consciously can just shift so much as well so I guess yeah it is all related but it's that kind of nonverbal communication that I think can be really powerful as well. And it's interesting reading more about um, like the Japanese culture that Reiki that I studied came from. And a lot of the rituals um, that they would do are, you know, it was like words were a bit misleading mm. and how it's these actions that have that have all this significance and poetry to them yes and we live in such a verbally dominated world I would say um and it can really cut us off from the rest of yeah well it can really cut us off from our, our relationship with nature absolutely because you know that is a non-verbal relationship 
it's it's uh, as a therapist myself it's actually I, I think if I was to assess my my own my own skill set and and areas where where I could improve I think my guess is that my biggest area of, of improvement would be to make more use of of, of silence of mm. nonverbal communication because it does just take up so much space like all of these words when sometimes the most healing thing would be to to sit in silence and mm. and I'm also realizing my therapy my own private therapy is booking a, a, a massage therapy session um and yeah. that's that's it's yeah it's way more useful for 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 my yeah. sense of uh of grounding than, yeah. than than traditional talking therapy actually so yeah to regulate absolutely but this was something you got into before you became a counselor or yeah it's been a kind of ongoing um like parallel inquiry yeah uh, just around this yeah idea of of silence and and energy and yeah I guess more transpersonal spiritual side of things that um you know isn't included so much in well psychodynamic human-centered approach that I I kind of predominantly originally trained in so yeah yeah I guess it's I guess it all ties in with my how my own cosmology is also developing how I see yeah the human consciousness and how it all fits into the world (laughs) quite a big quite a big inquiry (laughs) and and based on this based on your cosmology what what to you is ideal therapy or or maybe to make Mm. or maybe to make the question a bit more concrete like how would you describe the ideal counselor Mm. yeah I really like this question I think I think the ideal counselor is someone who the client has really chosen and that they feel really empowered that that this is someone that they feel really comfortable with and safe with because that's where there's going to you know that's where this this fertile void is going to be most fertile when when both people are able to really be there and be present as much as they can um so yeah I think you can have you can have a counselor who's who's got all the degrees and trained for years and years and years and someone you know with little to no experience and the person that's going to be most helpful to that person is is the person that they feel comfortable with that they can build a relationship with so yes that's going to be different for everyone which is brilliant that there's so many different types of people and counselor out there yeah I noticed that you're one of the most popular EAP therapists and um, like working through it's complicated. So, 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 so that's, you know, the employee assistance program Mm -hmm. where, where, where the companies, the corporations, they, they pay for, 
their employees' sessions. And I can imagine there are both um, challenges and, and huge benefits to working this way. Can, can mm-hmm. you tell me a bit about, you know, working, yeah, w- w- working with um, mm-hmm. shorter term therapy where, where the therapies are being paid for? Yeah, I, I really like um, e- the EAP um, set up because, you know, often the people that I work with are, <laughs> they are struggling and burning out due to how much they are working. So for the company to really pick up, you know, to, to support their mental health in that way and pick up the tab for that, I think is really important. Um, so, yeah, I think, and a, a lot of people come to it um, you know, want it, you know, they've never had therapy before. It's just because it has been offered in this way. So, um, so yeah, I think it's really nice also that I have had a corporate background as well. So I can yeah. really relate with, you know, the kind of politics and pressures that are involved in that kind of workplace, which are just there. Yeah. They're, they can be so crippling and, along with all these narratives that rest is not okay, that leisure time should always be productive, that, you know, it's very much anything, any time spent not working or doing projects is laziness. And if you're not feeling burnout, then you're not, then you're not trying hard enough. So there's really like some such strong stories around work that is just really cutting people off from, from rest and and recuperation and and physical and affecting their physical and mental health to such a strong degree yes so so yeah I I do like working with those clients and and I'm curious to hear a bit more about your your corporate background uh what what was your role in the corporate world did you work for a startup or (laughs) (laughs) I've worked for a lot of different companies um but I was mainly um, in the industry of journalism and content and working in like big media agencies. Um, so yeah, a lot of a lot of deadlines, a lot of pressure, a lot of politics. <laughs> um, yeah, it had it had, you know, it was it was fun as well sometimes, but um but yeah, I I had to un unlearn a lot of a lot of um narratives and limiting beliefs that I've yeah internalized from those from those years yeah are are, are there specific takeaways or specific learnings that you use as mantras for for yourself or your clients um Mm. to provide some counterbalance to to the culture of grind yeah so I guess it's I guess it's um decapitalizing the like decap the decapitalization of the mind um and I think one of the the core of it is you know rest makes work possible yeah so I think just coming yeah just remembering that and you know, some people do use that as a, um, you know, NLP kind of in a kind of affirmation way, just to take the shame out of resting that, 
you know, without that part of the cycle, if you're just working the whole time, then it's going to be limited output. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I do feel like, you know, how I, you know, the hours and the way I work is, is, is modeling to my clients as well. You know, my own compassion and respect for my leisure time and taking, taking breaks, taking holidays. Yes. Really, really important. Yeah. 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 So to show that that's okay to do. That also begs the question, do do you use yourself a lot in, in therapy? Um, Do, do you demonstrate, you know, your life skills in an, (laughs) in an explicit way or. um... Do I demonstrate my life skills in an explicit way? I guess, I guess there was something around boundary, you know, boundaries and flexibility that I've yeah, looked into and wanting to be flexible for my clients, but also wanting to respect my own time. Um, so yeah, that's something that I've, I've worked on actually. And, and is, I think that's hard for a lot of people to do, to really value themselves and value yeah. what they're offering. So that's been, yeah, an uncomfortable learning curve, you know, kind of saying that actually if you miss a session that we had agreed, then, you know, there is a charge for that because that was my time and, you're, and you know, we've both agreed that we were going to have a session at that time. So, you know, I think when I first started out, I would say, oh, don't, don't worry about it. You know, it's, it's a lot of money and, and yeah. I would feel bad or something. Yeah. Um, but it's really holding those boundaries, I think, really is modeling to other people to to value themselves. Yeah. 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 That's that's so wisely put. And I think it's probably something that many therapists, especially like many therapists, especially that profession, find challenging because mm-hmm. so, so, so many uh, mental health professionals chose that path out of this um, pleasing tendency or, or where they found yeah. out oh wow you know I I actually have a natural capacity for empathetic listening and mm-hmm. being very attuned to other people's needs but then it becomes a, you know a double-edged sword or it also becomes probably one of many counselors main main challenge to set up proper boundaries yeah yeah definitely it is the challenge of of the wounded healer and and also I think there's an interesting you know people's relationship with money especially women in and especially in the help you know helping profession there's you know money is you know how people I sometimes do a um an exercise of people that I say you know imagine money walks in as a person walks into your room right now like what do they look like and you know people will often well I I don't know do you want to do you want to try it Um, it's like a a Don Draper like a like a white (laughs) middle-aged man or you know like yeah exactly who makes me super uncomfortable (laughs) 
but yeah. yeah yeah <laughs> that is you know that is that was my also original kind of image of money and then you know it's this demonization of it and it is just an energy so to experiment with with looking at it in a different way you know what if it was this very femme woman Ooh, it was money I like that and we have this relationship with her that you know builds and helps and and flows so yeah it's kind of just looking into those kind of um into those kind of things because I think people can cut themselves off from money because like you said it's Don Draper and it's bad yeah cutting themselves off from from power and influence that can actually help in the system oh yeah what if money was Sadie Smith someone extremely <laughs> wise and beautiful and just like and yeah also I think I think she has sharp boundaries I think she's good at mm -hmm. I think she possesses a lot of good qualities maybe I need to think <laughs> yeah think of ever... yeah that's that's such an interesting exercise I also feel like asking you because I already without asking you directly I I, I definitely have I I I hope the listeners do too, a clear understanding of, of what makes you um, the, the counselor that you are and what, and what you enjoy about your work. Mm -hmm. um, but being one of the founders of, um, of a therapy platform called It's Complicated, I, I also you know, want to ask you about just the, what, what is the most complicated ab about being in private practice about yeah working as a counselor maybe also like growing your practice if that was ever complicated and mm. hard I mean you know it's so it's so rewarding to to work with a client and really see how this space that they've claimed has given them time and resources to to make changes in their lives that that really improves their lives or helps their anxiety or lets them express more of who they are but you know a lot of it can feel really frustrating and you know like we're not getting anywhere and and you you know it's really you can get pulled into that despair and doubt yourself as a, as a counselor and, you know, is, am I even really doing anything? And so it's really, it's really important to have good supervision as well, because, you know, there can be unconscious processes that are going on. And, and I think what really helped me grow my practice was to, to step out of this role, which I think I was in a bit when I just qualified, which was, you know, that I had to really, be everything for my clients and and really help them and fix them and <laughs> and be some kind of some sort of savior to to be doing my job yeah and as soon as I let that go it just freed everything up um and freed up you know because that took a lot of energy for me to, to take on like someone's entire um take on yeah someone's issues when you know we're really just entering into this this darkness together and seeing what's there and then coming out of it and and separating as opposed to 
kind of merging yeah yeah can happen was there a moment where you let that go do you recall that being Mm. a shift of some sorts I think I I would notice that I would sometimes it would feel like a stickiness that I would get I'd be getting really drawn into a client and their unconscious processes and I, I could feel that that wasn't you know it was this it was this real need to to help that that wasn't really that helpful um mm. or therapeutic so I had this um I guess I wrote like an intention or like a, a therapy prayer that I would say every every um before every session that was you know I think it's something along the lines of you don't have to fix anyone you don't have to save anyone you know you just have to show up and and listen and be curious and you know all those other kind of intentions that I had for my practice so yeah that um that just really really helped yeah amazing so nice <laughs> thank you so much Gemma for taking the time to speak to a fellow therapist yeah always a pleasure <laughs> always thought-provoking <laughs>